what are the main arguments of atheism? And how do we equip our teens to stand up to a culture intent on destroying their faith? Join me and one of my favorite authors, Dr. Kevin Vost, as we share two of the most insidious attacks on our faith and how St. Thomas Aquinas can help you help your kids stand against them. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Maladnik, and I'm so glad you're with us today. We're talking about how to fight atheism and protect our kids. Our guest today is Dr. Kevin Vost. Dr. Vost has taught psychology and gerontology at schools including the University of Illinois at Springfield and Aquinas College in Nashville, Tennessee. He is the author of 20 books, from Memorize the Faith to 12 Life Lessons from St. Thomas Aquinas. He lives with his wife, Kathy, in Springfield, Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Vost. Well, thanks so much for having me on today, Lisa. It's my pleasure. Oh, you have such an interesting story, Dr. Vost. You spent a lot of your life as an academic and teaching, and you've really been out there in the world, but you also had an encounter with the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, or at least his ideas that helped to turn your life around. Could you give us some background on where you're coming from in this conversation? Sure. If I can go way back to the early 1960s, yeah, I was raised as a Catholic. Uh, we went to Mass on Sundays. I went to some, some good Catholic schools taught by Dominican sisters in grade school, and Viatorian priests and brothers in high school. So I said, we went to Mass on Sundays, but we really didn't practice the faith much at home. We didn't uh, talk about it. We didn't have regular prayer habits at home. I remember once in high school taking a religion class, I needed a Bible for a resource. We didn't have one in the house, so we had to go down to our local Catholic bookstore to pick uh, one of those up. But basically, though, I was raised within the faith, uh, and in my teens, it's kind of the time when our higher psychological cognitive capacities develop when we can do like critical thinking, if-then thinking. I remember at one point in high school thinking, if all this stuff I've been taught about Jesus is true, then this is the most important stuff in all the world. So at one point in my mid-teens, I really became tried to become immersed in the faith. I had some Protestant friends who were really into their faith. I sometimes would go to church with them. And that went along for a few years until my late teens. My main hobby, my main passion was weightlifting and bodybuilding. And there was this brilliant young bodybuilder at that time, a Mr. Universe, who was thought to be the heir to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he wrote these articles that really gave me a lot of valid information about how to train the body, how to eat sensibly. But he also dabbled in philosophy. And in his articles, he introduced me to people like Friedrich Nietzsche and Ayn Rand and other atheists. And I trusted this man for what I learned about him from fitness. So I started reading these people myself. And then, kind of like my, my if had been taken away with that if-then thinking, these the writings of these atheists made me cast doubts on my faith and basically think it was unreasonable to believe. So from about the age 18 or so, I considered myself an atheist for the next 25 years until through a series of events in my early 40s, I read St. Thomas Aquinas for the first time. Wow. Well, just in a nutshell, who introduced you to Aquinas and why did you pick it up? Yeah, well, my, my another lifelong interest besides physical training uh, was philosophy. And I also obtained a doctorate in clinical psychology, which was a closely allied field to, to philosophical psychology. And during that time, I enjoyed some of the classics 
uh, philosophers, people like Aristotle and the Stoics. So I, I got some courses on them from, from the Great Courses Company. There was one on Aristotle that was taught by a Catholic priest, and I really enjoyed it. So I got another course that he taught on natural law. And in this course, he's talking about my favorite people, Aristotle, the Stoics, the great Greek uh, writers, uh, other great Greek writers. They also started talking about St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and the role they played in the development of natural law. And I was very intrigued and did some reading that he recommended, ended up reading Thomas himself for the first time. And I discovered, well, one, as a psychologist, when he writes about human nature and how we think and our desires and passions and all that, I realized, wow, this guy knows us better than any psychologist I've ever read. Now then, yeah, so it really kind of floored me. But then I read the first part of the symbol where he talks about the arguments for God's existence and the attributes of God's we can deduce just from our own reason. And I found then that these arguments that had pulled me away from the church had been answered amazingly well by Thomas over 700 years ago. And though I was raised a Catholic, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> but anyway, I was, I was amazed when I came back, uh, found this, that Thomas was able to draw me back to belief in Christ and the church. And I'll note, too, that not long afterwards, Lisa, reading a copy of the Summa Theologica, there was a foreword by Pope Leo XIII, and he was praising Thomas in there. He wrote this encyclical in 1879, and he said, people who say they're going to only follow their reason, and now he was writing like after the writings of Charles Darwin when those were very, very popular. But he said, people who say, I'm only going to follow reason and not faith. He said, what's going to restore them to the faith? The stirrings of the Holy Spirit and the writings of the church fathers and the scholastics, foremost of all, St. Thomas Aquinas. And little did I know that that is exactly what would happen to me after 25 years as an atheist. Wow. Thanks be to God for the unseen work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I really have to give, you know, obviously big credit to God and seeing your life and seeing what the pathways could be through reason to reaching your soul. Um, but I also give you credit for being a truth seeker. I feel like that's something that you've had a passion for all along. And so it may have been a circuitous route, but I'm sure through all of your delving into the classics and psychology, God was preparing you for a mission. And, and we really see that in the way things have unfolded for you in the Catholic world, writing your books, writing your books on memory, on fitness even, and the role that it plays on faith, and, and the way your mind was really just so well-trained for all of those ways of unpacking the faith for us at different levels. Yeah, I think it's, it's amazing what God can have in store for us, because all those years, I actually did wish that I could believe, but I just felt in true honesty that I couldn't. Now, I was never one of those atheists who would try to take someone else's, else's faith away, because I knew there was a lot of good within the church. Uh, but I just wished I believed, and I honestly believe I couldn't until, thank God, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas came my way. He, he opened up the doors of faith to me, showing it was reasonable. But I will say, too, you know, when I came back, I also discovered how many people who love me had been praying for years and years that I would come back. So God also acts through the actions of others. And that's one encouraging thing I would, I would say to people who probably listeners have family members who have left the faith, but just keep on praying. You never know God's timetable. That's what I was just thinking, too, as, as we're about to learn some really important pieces through reason to reach out to those people who, like you, Dr. Voss, might say, oh, yeah, I'd sure love to believe that. It seems like a fairy tale. Wouldn't it be nice to think that there's an all-loving God who's concerned with us in a personal way and who ha wants us to be with him for all eternity that can actually step into time and be with us and sacrifice on our behalf? Yeah, that really sounds good, but sorry, 
just don't buy it. So what are the two major lies of atheism um, that Thomas so ably deconstructs or, or sheds light on uh, for us so that we can understand those? Sure. And I just think of the, the two main arguments that, that drew me away and seemed unanswerable at the time. And I will say some of the popular books on atheism today, they still use these, especially this first one. The first one goes, well, the idea of God doesn't make sense. How could God be both all-knowing and all-powerful? Because if he knows what he's going to do tomorrow, then he doesn't have any power to change it, right? So the idea they propose is the idea of God is, is uh, self-contradictory. It just can't be. And I'd never seen heard an answer to that. Before I heard that argument, I, I'd never come across one uh, until I read St. Thomas. And it's not in the section of his proofs of the existence of God, but he's just talking about one of God's attributes or characteristics we can determine, you know, through reason, that he talks about God's eternity. And when we put this dilemma, well, what's God going to do tomorrow? You know, how can he do something different? He already knows. Well, we have a yesterday and a day or tomorrow, but God lives in an eternal now. He's fully actualized. He doesn't have a potential to do something tomorrow that he hasn't done today. It's, it's all done. He's all actualized all the time. So he sees things from, from the perspective of eternity. So there's no conflict there. And Thomas even gives us in a nice, simple little analogy. He said, if we're traveling along some path to a town, maybe it's a hilly uh, path, and we can only see a portion of that route at one time. He said, but a person from a perspective high above in the sky can see the whole route and all the people and all the places along the way at once. And that's the perspective that God has, that eternal now. So that kind of wowed me when I came across that. The yeah, second, just yeah, um, before you dive into the second one, um, Dr. Boss, what, how typically is that? I mean, that's a really intellectual concept. That's a real thinker who says that God is all-knowing and, and, and that God is all-powerful and somehow finding that contradiction. Or just off the top of your head, can you think of any ways that those beliefs are being spoken into our culture today? Like, how would we recognize that fallacy? Well, that's a good question, because I remember back at the time, there were books, one's called Atheism, the Case Against God, that made this. Several years ago, the biologist, the British biologist, Richard Dawkins, did a book called The God Delusion. He's got that in there, too. You know, it's ongoing. But I think one difference between the 1970s, when I became an atheist, and now is, I don't know that as many people are pulled away from specific arguments like this. I think what's more in our, the air today is just the idea that well, really, we really have no way to grasp any firm, absolute truth at all about anything. You know, this concept of relativism, well, this is my truth, what's your truth, you know, what's true for me, is it true for you? So I think we almost have this prevailing idea of the, even the concept of truth is like a, a fairy tale story. And then that opens up people, when their faith is criticized, to, to easily abandon it. And that's another great bulwark of Thomas Aquinas, actually. Part of his psychology, when he explains how it is as human beings that we understand things, how we have intellects that are unique among every other species on earth, you know, only human beings can form concepts, can have language, and sometimes people say, well, what about the chimpanzees and the dolphins? I always say, well, go to their libraries and research their arguments and come back and we'll discuss those. <laughs> but obviously, you know, we have this unique capacity there, and, and Thomas shows how the way much of his reasoning goes, even reasoning back to God, it always starts with what's evident and clear to our senses, what any person can see just from, from living in the world. He starts there with objective facts, works the way, you know, works his way back to reason uh, towards God. But he also shows how this is valid. Our minds are set up that we have the capacity 
to grasp reality if our minds are, are operating according to the proper logical principles. And what does it say about God that our minds are made to be so inquisitive and to seek that completion outside of ourselves? I want to just direct you back to, since I, I kind of, you know, redirected you for a moment. Um, what is the second main argument of atheists? And how should we look at that through Aquinas? Yeah, now I got this one through, through Ayn Rand, the kind of wonderful novelist, but also, also an atheistic thinker. And her premise was she said, existence exists. He said, she said, um, Another one, a British philosopher, Bertrand Russell, had the question, well, you've got to say, who made God? You know, so their idea is that existence itself, that's the fundamental. You open your eyes, you look out, there's the world. You don't need to ask where it came from. That's the starting point, okay? And that had an impact on me for a lot of years until I did read Thomas's arguments for the existence of God. And again, here they can start with simple facts of our senses, the fact that things move or the fact that things change, that there's causes and effects. And for this one, he just points out that for everything that exists, there's nothing that can give itself its own existence. You know, like you and I, you know, we were born at a certain point in history. There was a lot of history before we were ever, ever born. Everything in the universe, uh, nothing can give itself its own existence. Matter just can't do that. So, so there, you know, was a time when there, uh, even if there's a time when there was nothing, you know, there has to be something that always exists to be the foundation of this existence. And that's God. Thomas says that God's essence, what he is, is existence, to be. So of all the things in the universe, God's essence is his existence, the only being who's the fount of all being uh, itself. So it showed me how everything that we see out in the universe is what he called contingent being or contingent existence. It's there, but because of something else, something that, that either came before it or holds it up. And another amazing thing about Thomas's arguments I'll bring in here that many of the ancient philosophers thought that the universe was eternal, that the universe was also already here. So Thomas made his arguments in such a way that even if you granted that, he still proves that there has to be a God to sustain everything in existence. So, so Thomas doesn't just say, if we went back in time, you're going to find God. He says, just the fact that you see things out there now shows there must be God sustaining them in existence. So it's really profound. It really is. And there's so much about this idea of contingency, too. We look at so much in nature that speaks of God's plan, of, of one thing generating another, of things falling to the earth and becoming something anew, that that sense of, of renewal and sustenance, that the, code, the interdependence of all of the natural world um, in such a subtle and innumerable fashion is just remarkable in its design. The design of it is just so incredible. It, it is amazing. And Lisa, too, and when I came back, you know, uh, Thomas opens me up to belief and he has these, you know, wonderful arguments about God as his fundamental existence, his fundamental being. But he also points out, you know, you can go through page after page of rich philosophical logical analysis. He said, you can also turn to Exodus 3.16. And when Moses asked God his name, what does he say? Yahweh or, or I am. I am who I am. So there you have, you know, even in two words, I am that fundamental idea of sheer existence, the fount and source of all existence. It also, of course, incorporates God's eternity. It's not I was or I will be. He, he's eternally present. So there's just this amazing breadth and depth of philosophy, uh, true philosophy condensed in the words of Scripture that God himself revealed to us. 
I just love to, I heard one speaker or read it somewhere that it's God's very nature to exist and spoke to that God naming himself, I am. He didn't say I do, even though God's actions, which are eternal and outside of time, as you pointed out, that they're this, this continuous full actualization of who God is. But we don't, but we try to reduce him sometimes to creator, redeemer, sanctifier, and he does all those things. But above all, he is in his goodness, his purity and his love and his self-gift. And, and so much of the best of humanity reveals that and even our desire for those things. Oh, oh absolutely. You know, and Thomas's other beautiful passages that really drew me in, you know, talking, Thomas loves creation. You know, part of his argument is that the created world is good. The physical world is good. We're told this in Genesis. But Thomas is part of the reason that everything is so good, everything is so beautiful out there is that in some small way, it reflects the ultimate goodness and beauty of God himself. So if we're awed by a mountain range, or by the stars up in the sky, or by the, the beautiful beauty of a little baby, you know, those are all in some ways a dim reflection of that ultimate goodness and beauty that, that, uh, for which God is the ultimate source, and, and, the, and who gives all that to us. And our culture is trying to convince us every day to keep our heads in devices, to click and to order and to own, to be consumers above all else. And that we're, I, I, this keeps coming up for me, that the only way to be virtuous is, is to agree, to buy the company line, the culture's line about everything and never to disagree, never to think for ourselves. And the work of Thomas Aquinas and thinkers such as yourselves just helps us. It's almost like we feel like we get this fresh breeze that blows through our minds and reminds us of the potential for us to be real noble creatures and recognize that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Um, what are some ways that you talk to your own teens and young adults to help them to apply these two important ideas from Aquinas? Sure. Well, I think one of the most helpful ideas in Thomas, too, for, for us as human beings, is the way he talks about the virtues. And there's various aspects, too, but one he talks about a lot is that Virtues are perfections of our God-given powers. You know, so we have powers to think. And there are intellectual virtues, ones he calls science or knowledge, understanding. Well, that's like cause and effect relationships, the, the virtue of science or knowledge. Uh, understanding, the ability to grasp fundamental principles. And, and wisdom, the highest of those virtues. The ability to judge, to make decisions about, you know, what's right, what we should and shouldn't do based on our understanding of the facts or reality. So, uh, or virtues like to be courageous or have, to have fortitude. We have this capacity to fight out against, against wrongs. And when we develop virtues, we enhance that capacity or the temperance to control our passions, to control our urges. So a, a powerful concept there from Thomas is this idea of virtue. And again, sometimes I write about fitness, it even applies to our physical bodies because Thomas says that virtues are to the soul as health and fitness are to the body. So God gave us bodies. You know, we don't need to become obsessed by them. We don't all need to be, you know, Mr. or Miss Universe or anything. But we need to be stewards of them and do what we can to be healthy and fit so we can have our, use our physical bodies to act out for helping others. And as models, you know, for our families, that we should, we're going to be good stewards to the bodies God gave us. I loved one of your early works, Dr. Vost. It was my first introduction to you, Fit for Eternal Life. And it was such an eye-opener because I feel like, especially among Catholic women, there's this myth that self, 
self-neglect is somehow virtuous. But the virtues, as you've just explained, help us to have this kind of self-possession, self-knowledge, even knowledge of God, that the more we learn to self-mastery, to, to cultivate the virtues, to care for the bodies that we've been given so we can be strong and healthy and be good stewards of these gifts and to be bright lights in the world. I mean, we could go on and on about how that self-mastery reveals so much that the diving into appetites and self-satisfaction and cravings that our culture peddles us night and day robs us of that liberty, that, that freedom in Christ that helps us to be fully alive, to be the glory of God, uh, man fully alive. And was that an Aquinas thought too? I hear that quoted all over the place, Dr. Boston. I'm oh, not sure who said it. The glory of God is man fully alive. Yeah. Irenaeus? Oh, Thomas, but Thomas is definitely uh, in line with that concept. Yes. And I would say just too, our, our modern world, just the very natural virtues that God gave us with these basic human powers, we kind of even deny the development of those. But as Catholic Christians, we need to remember that God has also infused the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. You know, we obtain through baptism to strengthen the confirmation. And he also gives us seven gifts of the Holy Spirit to every one of us that, uh, you know, Thomas talks about grace perfecting nature. So these gifts of the Holy Spirit can perfect even the virtues themselves. One of my favorite analogies for these is they say like, through the virtues, we kind of row our way towards God and towards what's right. And these virtues, these gifts of the Holy Spirit are like God's winds behind our sails. We have both these things going for us, the natural virtues that we can strive to develop, and we can also open up ourselves to God's graces, those gifts of the Holy Spirit, which can perfect the virtues themselves. It's a beautiful image. I love whenever we can step into a vivid image like that, that we're rowing, we're practicing, and then those theological virtues come on, come along to be the wind in our sails and take us places we could never go under our own power. And that sense that God meets us where we are in, in that rowing and blows us even further, moves us along. That's right, that cooperation there. You know, we, we can choose to, choose to fold up our sails if we want, you know. But then hopefully we'll open them up to God's graces and just be amazed at where he ends up leading us. Absolutely right. What are some of the isms that, that trip us up, the ways of thinking that are kind of typical in modern thinking that we might want to just kind of shine this particular light on to understand a little bit better? Sure. I think we might have mentioned briefly one called relativism. As, a, as a, the idea that there are no absolute truths, which itself is self-contradictory because that would be stating an absolute, you know, to say there are no absolutes. But <laughs> another one, though, very, very powerful one that I really see strongly in our culture right now is the idea, a rel related idea called constructivism. This is the idea that we construct or make our own truths. It's not a matter of, truth is not a matter of our thoughts matching reality. The idea is, well, we just make reality whatever we want. And I see this today, probably the most drastic example now is this idea of gender. You know, a person can declare their reality as whatever they want it to be, you know, with no necessary bearing to actual facts, the facts of physical biology, uh, things like that. So I think constructivism is very, very rampant today. Uh, but again, if people were immersed in Thomas's uh, description of the way the human co cognition works, our understanding works, they would see that God really did make us to have a grounding in objective outside reality. We really can grasp truths and, and, and know what's true and what's false, and morally what's right and what's wrong. 
I, I love what I believe it was Chesterton said that if we construct our own universe, what a small and pathetic little universe it would be if we were our own gods. And so to be small is to be set free into an unimaginably large, vivid, varied, and mysterious world of possibilities in the divine. You know, walking in that partnership with God, it's amazing the way we want, again, that constructivism. I think that relates directly to consumerism, where we sort of buy whatever identity we want. We can have a surgery or take hormones or, or change our name or whatever it is that somehow those externals are going to make things right for us. And, and it's not proving to be the case. There's no happiness on those pathways. Oh, oh absolutely. And it's just such a, a wrong party. It reminds me of another idea. I'm a great lover of G.K. Chesterton, who, who wrote one of the great biographies on St. Thomas. Uh, but yeah, that idea, though, of consumerism, that, we can just, that we're going to buy our way to happiness, is, is always going to be false, based on a false premise. And also, it's appealing to the, our lower nature, our animal nature, which just appeals to our senses, while ignoring the intellect, which grasps higher uh, profundities and truths. And it's only through respect of our higher nature that we're ever going to obtain ha true happiness. And that's not to say, and I know you're not saying this, but just for the listeners, that's not to say that as you, and you actually touched on this earlier, that this beautiful natural world and all the pleasures given to us by God and the beauty of our own bodies, that that's somehow canceled out. It's just that we are both body and soul and that intellect helps to unite the two. It's a bridge of sorts in my mind, uh, sort of grasping the transcendent somehow with our hearts and minds so that we can live into it. Oh, absolutely. So the natural beauty of the world should draw our minds up towards God, the source of all that beauty. You bet. You bet. Yeah, we're not trying to cut ourselves off from joys and pleasures as, as, they, are, as they are ordered properly toward God. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to encapsulate for us, Dr. Vos, before we wrap up for today? It's been such a joy delving into this with you. It's so exciting hearing such good thoughts. <laughs> Definitely been my pleasure, Lisa. But I would just say, you know, Having been raised you know, with a Catholic background, I know there's you know, wonderful homeschoolers out there that, you know, if at all possible, give them some acquaintance, depending on their age, you know, with the great thought tradition of our church. You know, I say so I focus on St. Thomas Aquinas, but part of the reason he was so great is that he so much revered all the church fathers and doctors that came before him. So he learned about them. St. Augustine, the, the, the Eastern Fathers, St. John Chrysostom. So I say as much as possible, at the right age, introduce children to the stories of these great saints who are also great thinkers. Because when they get out in the world, they are going to encounter a lot of hard questions about their faith, but they'll be better equipped to handle those if they realize the answers have been around for a long, long time within the faith itself. Our tradition is so rich. And we'll have more information about you on our landing page, Dr. Vost. I just want to mention your new book again, 12 Life Lessons from St. Thomas Aquinas. And that's from Sophia Institute Press. Can't wait to get a copy of that. It's really exciting. Do you have a, a date for us? Is that out now or are we still waiting for it? Uh, September 19th is a projected date for that one. I'll say to you, the subtitle is Timeless Spiritual Wisdom for Our Turbulent Times. Oof, boy, do we need that. Thank you so much. What a joy it's been to have you with us. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast. <laughs>